Life in our modern age comes at you pretty fast, which makes our time away especially valuable. When I take time to relax, I like to get far from my everyday life, immerse myself in natural beauty, and have unique experiences. But you don't have to leave the U.S. to experience tropical rainforests and islands filled with adventure, warm culture, and national treasures. Visit Puerto Rico, an island with a vibrant spirit that will sweep you away. Because when you visit, you don't become part of the island, it becomes part of you. In Puerto Rico, you can forget where you came from and embrace where you are. Puerto Rico, where visits end, but stories last forever. No passport required for U.S. citizens and permanent residents. Learn more and plan your trip at discoverpuertorico.com. Today's episode is brought to you by West Holm. We all know from home cooks to restaurant chefs to eating enthusiasts that the quality of your ingredients makes all the difference, especially when it comes to meat. West Holm, which is based in Queensland in the Northern Territory, Australia, is working with the land to create nature-led Australian Wagyu. They steward 16 million acres of rangeland, guided by the natural ecosystem where their cattle thrive. The result is high-quality Wagyu beef that reflects the terroir of Northern Australia and a flavor suited to complement any cuisine. West Holm believes that when nature leads, flavor follows. Learn more at westholm.com slash savor. That's W-E-S-T-H-O-L-M-E dot com slash saver. If your business needs a new application, then developers will have to write code, a lot of code. If an application needs to be modernized, then you'll need time, resources, and caffeine. If that sounds daunting, then you need Watson X Code Assistant, AI designed to multiply developer productivity so you can generate code quickly. Let's create a more modern foundation for business with Watson X Code Assistant. Learn more at ibm.com slash codeassistant. IBM. Let's create. What's up? This is your boy Lil Duval. And check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Hello and welcome to Savor, production of iHeartRadio and Stuff Media. I'm Annie Reese. And I'm Lauren Vogelbaum. And today we're talking about candy canes. Yes. Because the holidays are upon us and candy canes are terrible. <laughs> well, it turns out neither you or I are into them, really. Yes. Um, but I I did, I think it was when um, maybe almost a year ago, Dylan and I went to that candy museum slash exhibit. Uh, right. The, um, the, the do it for the Instagram. Yes. Thing. Very much in just Instagram stuff. I mean, it was fun and we had a good time, but in every room you got a piece of candy. Okay. And um, I have eaten all the candy except the candy cane, <laughs> which is has been sitting on my microwave since. And oh. a couple of months ago, I, I was microwaving something, and I, I was staring at the candy cane like, what the heck is going on here? Because <laughs> I've never really thought about it, like the shape and the colors. I was just, I must know more about this. And voila. <laughs> very selfish episode. <laughs> no, that's that's great. I, you know, I, I think it's, it's important to be curious. <laughs> and this is certainly a curious story. Yeah. Or a number it, of stories. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's weird. 
Oh, absolutely. <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, I don't like them. Um, I, I don't like hard candy in general because like, and stick candy in particular, it just gets, it gets so stabby and and then you cut yourself but and then it's covered in drool and, and sucking on things just like irritates <laughs> the inside of my mouth anyway. And so my entire feeling about it is just like, why? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I have my whole mint thing. I know they come in other flavors now, sure. but like... I'm just not that into it. Um, we were talking before this started uh, about how they can be used as weapons. And yeah. they have been several horror movies. Several, yeah, and uh, uh, television shows. Yeah, I feel like there was a related – it might it might have been a hard candy that was not a candy cane in Orange is the New Black. Anyway. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, but. But. This brings us to our question. Candy canes. What are they? Well, a candy cane is a cane made of candy. There you go. Simple. <laughs> Nothing more to it. We were lying when we said it's interesting and weird earlier. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, I, I mean, you know, you've seen them. They're typically like the size and shape of a long pencil that's hooked over at one end, colored white with a red stripe winding around it, sort of in an angle, so it's all pretty, like a ribbon. Um It's a type of hard candy or boiled sweet, so-called because making it involves cooking refined granulated sugar with water until the sugar dissolves and then boiling the resulting syrup until the water has evaporated out, leaving you with hot sugar goo that is malleable so that if you form it into a shape, it'll keep that shape when it cools and hardens. Uh Uh-huh. (laughs) Uh-huh. And there are a few tricks to doing this because sugar really wants to be crystals. Mm Mm-hmm. It's just the way that sucrose molecules interact with each other. They, they lock together like, uh, like Legos or, or Tetris pieces or gear teeth and crystals form. And in candy making, you, you don't want that. You want the candy to be smooth and crystals are gritty um, like Legos as we who have stepped on them all know. Um, physically speaking, sugar is an amorphous solid like glass, which is uh, this designation that scientists use when something behaves like a solid like crystals in some situations, and like a liquid in others. It's sort of the scientific equivalent of going like WTF. (laughs) We don't know what this is. It's neither a solid nor a liquid. It's an amorphous solid. Hmm. But anyway, so (laughs) what you're doing when you make hard candy is um, you're you're heating those crystals so that they break apart into free-flowing molecules. Um, And you do that with water so that you don't just burn it uh, because that wouldn't be good. Uh, But then you boil like 99% of the water out. If you left more water in, you would wind up ultimately with a softer candy, anything from like marshmallows to taffy. Um, but for hard candy, uh, so yeah, you're, you're making this super saturated syrup of sucrose molecules. And then you stabilize them by adding something that will interfere with them locking together. And I guess technically any number of molecules would do, but since you're making candy and not like poison, uh, the two popular ones are glucose and or fructose in the form of corn syrup or honey. Uh, glucose is a smaller molecule than sucrose, so it'll it'll slip in between the sucrose molecules and prevent them from locking up. Perfect. Uh-huh. But wait. No! Yes. Uh, the resulting hot sugar goo is, like, sort of clearish yellow, and candy canes have a base of white. So are they dyed white? Are they? Nope. What? <laughs> <laughs> no, um, they appear white because of tiny air bubbles that are worked into the goo so that they'll scatter the light that hits them into an even spectrum that our eyes perceive as white. 
And I bet you didn't think that we were going to be talking about the electromagnetic spectrum in this one. Nope. Suckers. <laughs> hey. Hey. Oh, <laughs> oh no. Yep. Oh, I don't even mean to do them anymore. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> um, okay, so yeah. So, so how you do that is you take your warm, malleable sugar goo and you stretch and fold and stretch it over and over again, working in tiny air bubbles until it appears white. Uh, Stuff like cream of tartar can also help um, because its molecules can kind of elbow in and stabilize air bubbles in a mixture. Anyway, uh, at this stage, you can also add in any flavorings you want, and you you wind up with this big white loaf of of warm candy. Mm. The red bit is dyed. Okay. Uh, (laughs) You you take a little bit of the warm candy uh, before it's opaque white and dye it and cut it into strips that you then either fold into the loaf at intervals or apply to the outside of the loaf, and then you just... Work the loaf into the thickness you want your candy canes to be and cut lengths of it off and bend them at one end and let them cool and harden. Uh, you can add other colorings in at the flavoring stage, uh, but yeah, yeah, the, the result is a hard, brittle, shiny, sweet stick of candy with tiny little air bubbles locked in. Um, if you, you can see them if you break one. That's cool. Yeah, right? Maybe I'll break my candy cane. Ooh. I like how it's my single candy cane. <laughs> <laughs> And I, I was, I didn't think about this, but um, I found on on Mental Floss they had this survey: How do people prefer to eat them? Do you suck them or do you crunch them? Oh, yes. <laughs> uh, according to them, fifty four percent of children report that they prefer to suck on the candy, while twenty four percent prefer to bite into them, and half of that twenty four percent they were boys. Huh? Yeah, I. I think I've mentioned before on the show, I have a, a fake tooth. Oh, uh-huh. And I'm not entirely sure what it's made of because the people <laughs> – it's a long story. It was kind of a rush job. So I have a real fear of accidentally biting into hard candy. Sure. Or apples or carrots or, or ice. Anything, <laughs> yes. basically. Yeah. I've yeah. been into my fork last night. I was like, oh, yep, that was the end. Luckily, it's okay. Yay! But I can't imagine biting into a candy cane. Oh, uh. I guess I guess I prefer I prefer to to bite them, um, but <laughs> but I prefer the small ones for that purpose. Like if I'm oh, going okay. to be subjected to a candy cane, <laughs> I want it to be one of the kind of tiny ones so that I can just crunch it. Right, right, right. Yeah, I don't mind candy canes. I, I guess yeah, you can use them in like in like baking or other dessert making as like yeah. a, it's like little candy cane crumbles. Yeah, and they're very um, – you can use them in decoration. Sure. Or I know some people like to put them in like a holiday coffee or something and use it as kind of like a – Sure, as a stirrer. Stirrer that melts. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I've done that. I, I get it. It's festive as heck. It is. It's true. They are very sticky. They are. Yeah. Why? <laughs> anyway. We're coming out pretty hard against candy canes. We didn't mean to. <laughs> they got a really cool story we'll get to. Anyway, what about nutrition? It's sugar. Yeah. It's just sugar. I think they're like 50 calories per one. So. Yeah, it's, I mean, you know, it, it's just, it, it's, it's. It's sugar. <laughs> it's sugar. It's 99% sugar. Mm-hmm. Well, <laughs> people do seem to like them other than us. Uh, we do have some numbers for you. Uh, yeah, they're surprisingly popular, at least in my opinion. Um, <laughs> but anyway, a survey of 50,000 people conducted by CandyStore.com okay. uh, found that in Delaware, Maine, Pennsylvania, Washington, and Georgia, where we are located, candy canes came out as the most popular Christmas candy. Really? Yes. Gosh. But I was thinking about this, and I'm not 
<sighs> Christmas candy. They might be just really that pop. I can't think of too many other things when I think Christmas candy other than candy canes. Yeah, and like how was the survey worded? Like maybe mm-hmm. people were like, well, it's really the only Christmas candy. Right, so right, therefore, right. I mean, but you can have like festively colored gumdrops or True. Uh, or I, I think chocolate is a pretty <laughs> universal holiday candy. No matter the holiday. No matter the holiday. But Christmas as well. Yeah, yeah. And that's that's honestly the candy that I associate with Christmas, possibly because um, the aunt who I very frequently spend Christmases with, uh, like one of her things is she gets a big box of Godiva, like the big fancy one with yeah. like the like all the flavors. Yeah. And yeah. And I'm like, ooh. And so we just sit around and like watch sappy movies and eat chocolate. And that sounds nice. It's pretty heckin' nice. <laughs> I think when I was a kid, I forgot that this used to be a thing, but um, my mom would make me <laughs> give gifts to all my teachers. Uh, uh, Not that they didn't deserve it, but sure. you know, she was like, here's stuff to carry to school and give to your teachers. Yeah. And we always gave Andy's mint. Those, oh, like, chocolate mint things. Yeah, yeah. Huh. Mint is a very Christmassy flavor, I guess. It is. It's it's winter-themed because it's c- cooling. Yeah, it has a cooling effect. Sure. Um, <laughs> 90% of the 1.76 billion candy canes produced annually in the U.S. are sold during Thanksgiving and Christmas during that time period. Makes sense. It absolutely does make sense. And then it makes you wonder, what about that other 10%? <laughs> I think that must be, like, throughout the year, decoration. Uh, for, yeah, all of those other flavorings. Exactly. All flavors and colors for, yeah, Easter or yes. whatever. And <laughs> yes. There are all kinds of flavors these days. Bacon. Oh, gosh. Sriracha. <laughs> gravy. Let that sink in for a second. Gravy candy cane. No. <laughs> no, just no. Just no. Dill pickle. Wasabi. <laughs> cinnabon. Not Cinnamon. <laughs> Cinnabon. (laughs) Birthday cake. I know I had a sour green apple one once. It's pretty good. I think I've had, I think I had a blue raspberry one. Blue raspberry. That's such a fun amalgamation of things that I'm still not entirely sure what the flavor is, honestly. (laughs) That's a, we we talked about that one in our artificial flavors episode. Yeah, that was a, that was a long time ago, but, but gosh, that was a fun one. It was. Um, And, and yeah, you can have uh, candy cane flavored other stuff. Like vodka. Because why not? In the world of vodka, it seems to be the question that doesn't stop anyone. <laughs> yeah, no. Why not? Well, let's just make it. Okay, <laughs> someone will buy it. National Candy Cane Day is December 26th, which I find really funny. Uh-huh. Yeah, sure. Sure. Uh, <laughs> the largest candy cane in history ever created was made in 2012 and required 900 pounds of sugar and was 51 feet long or 15.5 meters. I think they broke it with like a sledgehammer so people could take pieces home after Gosh. they got there. A record. Shards. Danger shards. Danger shards. Minty danger shards. Another weaponized form of candy cane. Gosh. Mm-hmm. Well, um, we have that fun history for you. We do. <laughs> but first, we've got a quick break for a word from our sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by Westholm. I'm a person who doesn't really cook with a lot of meat, to be honest, because when I do, I want it to be special. I'm the same, and I do love sharing that food with people. And I have to say, we received some product, some steak, (laughs) Mm -hmm. and I am very eager to share it with my friends. (laughs) 
Yeah, uh, West Home sent us uh, a few of their products, and they included these gorgeous, gigantic tomahawk steaks that I, like, opened the box and immediately sent a picture to my best grilling friend, like, hang out soon. Yes, I did too. <laughs> West Home offers these beautifully marbled steaks because they have 16 million acres of rangeland across the northeast corner of Australia, from Brisbane to Darwin. They use a nature-led approach with the belief that if they balance the needs of their cattle with the needs of their environment, both can thrive. Their cattle graze on native grasses like Mitchell grass, which is found only in Australia, and roam wild, foraging at will for the first two to three years of their lives. The result is Wagyu beef that reflects the terroir of northern Australia and a quality that would complement whatever you're into cooking right now. Westholm believes that when nature leads, flavor follows. Learn more at westholm.com slash savor. That's W-E-S-T-H-O-L-M-E dot com slash savor. Today's episode is brought to you by Discover Puerto Rico. We've talked in a bunch of different episodes about facets of Puerto Rican cuisine, um, like the dish mofongo, made of savory, deep-fried mashed plantains studded with some kind of tasty protein, and the creation of the cool, creamy piña colada. But there is so much more there. Um, I've actually never been. You have a tiny bit of experience, don't you? Yes. Unfortunately, it was a very tiny bit of experience. Mm-hmm. I was there for about a day. I'm kicking myself for that now. I remember having delicious rums, delicious drinks. But I want to go back because, yeah, so many episodes we do on here, when we're talking about food from Puerto Rico, I want that. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> it sounds amazing. We're trying to get a savor team trip yeah. together. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> well, I mean, we're, we're trying to get a trip to a lot of places, but this is, yeah. this is really top of the list. Even putting together this ad read made me hungry. I was like, oh, oh, I want to try those things. Yeah, as we've talked about before, there are influences there from African and Spanish and native Taino foodways. The culinary scene sounds amazing, and we want to go, and I'm hungry. No passport is required for U.S. citizens and permanent residents. You can learn more and plan your trip at discoverpuertorico.com. This Father's Day, shop at the Home Depot to find the perfect gift to help dad be everything he can be. Because your dad is more than just a dad. He's groundskeeper of the yard, the perfecter of the patio, and the cleaner of the clippings. He's the weed-fighting, hedge-trimming, leaf-blowing lord of the lawn. He sees the job, and he gets it done. Because your dad is a doer. So show him you appreciate everything he does with the tools he needs to power up his landscaping game. This Father's Day, give him the convenience and gas-like power of innovative and durable Milwaukee cordless outdoor tools from the Home Depot. Plus, get up to $150 off select Milwaukee tools. For everything Dad does, everything he is, and everything he can be, find the perfect Father's Day gift at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. Shop for Father's Day now in stores or online at homedepot.com. When the sun goes down, opt for bold and blingy styles, like the made-to-be-seen, very sexy push-up bra from the Very Sexy Collection, in on-trend hues like black shine, green, and citron. For a glam statement, pair them with your favorite jeans and bring the heat. Because life is better in a bikini. Rewind to the future with the VS Archives Swim Collection, inspired by Victoria's Secret's classic looks from the 90s and early 2000s. For endless out-of-office options, mix and match with Victoria's Secret's wide range of bikini tops and bottoms that offer you every type of coverage, from full to cheeky to minimal. Now in this season's must-have shades and patterns. Add the finishing touch with the limited edition Bombshell Escape Fragrance, 
a free spirited take on the iconic Victoria's Secret scent. Dive into a vibrant blend of juicy guava, lush palms, and summer glow peony. Shop now at your closest Victoria's Secret store or online at victoriasecret.com. And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. Yes, thank you. Okay. (laughs) The story of the candy cane is one that is peppered with a lot of super fun and messed up stuff that isn't true. (laughs) And, you know, when I was staring at it on Uh my microwave, I thought, I bet I just know somewhere in my heart this has a messed up story associated (laughs) with it. I could sense it. And, yes, of course, we're going to be talking about these things because that's the kind of stuff we love to talk about. Yeah. But just right out of the gate, you've probably heard a falsehood about how candy canes came to be. Yes. Or if you're like me, I hadn't heard any of these really fun stories, um, but I I just knew one of them definitely existed. And it's this first one we're going to talk about. Yay! One of the most repeated but unverified stories is that the shape of the cane is modeled after the letter J for Jesus. Okay. Yes. Who is also represented by the white color, while the red represents his blood. <laughs> I knew it. I knew it was blood. (laughs) (laughs) I was looking at it like, oh, yeah. (laughs) I guess there's the old idea that the the, the barber pole uh, originated with bandages. Uh, Oh, I didn't know that. uh, Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, this isn't a hair show, but we can get into that at some point. Bandages because you'd get cut at the barber shop? Because it was also a, 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 a... Doctor service. Oh, okay. <laughs> I see. I got you. Now. I got you now. I was like, the, well, it sounded like the barber used to be a lot dangerous, <laughs> a lot more dangerous than this now. Um, yeah, and I guess this whole thing is no more metal than drinking Jesus' blood at communion, which sure. as a child I just kind of didn't really think about. Yeah, me neither. Then I got older. And, and I was like, huh. How interesting. It is. It's there. There is, there is a lot that's super metal. Right? About. <laughs> yeah, and there's more. There's more. In the most popular rendition of this story, this J-shaped candy was the brainchild of an Indiana candy maker. This is kind of how we know it probably isn't true because no one – there's all these details about him but no name and no oh, actual written down like records. Like date or – Yeah. yeah. It's like, kind he's of from like, Indiana. He was a candy maker. Here's everything he meant. But, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but in the story, he wanted to create a candy that incorporated several aspects of Jesus' life and death. The white was meant to be symbolic of his virgin birth and his purity. Uh, the candy maker wanted it to be a hard candy. I've never even considered making the texture of a candy symbolic, but sure. in this story he did. Uh, he wanted it to represent the solid rock, the strength of the church, and God's unwavering firmness in his promises. Um, the shape could either be a J for Jesus or a shepherd's staff. Okay. And the staff, by the way, was shaped that way to aid lambs and sheep who had fallen into a ditch or lost their way. Ah, yeah. okay. Um, but he thought this whole thing looked kind of dull, so he got the idea for staining it with a red pattern, Christ's blood. And the patterns, because I've never really paid this much attention to candy canes, but there's the one thick red stripe. And then the three small, smaller stripes that go around that. Sometimes, yeah. Yeah, sometimes. And that um, is different aspects of Jesus' life. Um, anyway, these were meant as treats for children who behaved uh, to keep them behaving during church or maybe as a way to identify fellow Christians during times of persecution. Also, almost definitely not true. 
Wow, there's yeah. a lot involved in this, this story. I know. <laughs> um, and yeah, as you can guess, it's, it's not true. Um, it's so <laughs> fun, but no. Uh, it's part of a long history of trying to associate pretty much any popular thing around Christmas time with Christianity. Sure. Yes. Yeah. And I mean, symbols are fun. They are, clearly. Yeah. This is great. So let's start with the first thing. Candy canes did not originate in Indiana. Sorry. Nope. <laughs> Sorry, Indiana. Many yeah. other excellent qualities. Inventor of candy canes, not one of them. Nope. Uh, their precursor hard candy sticks were around long before Indiana was even a state, uh, at least going back to the 17th century in Europe, by which time most of Europe was Christian, and also around the time the Christmas tree tradition was widely adopted. And this was the era during which refined sugar was becoming a little more available and less expensive because of the uh, slavery-driven sugar plantations being set up by the European powers around the world. Um, up through the 1900s, sugar was still kind of a special treat, though, for most people in the world. And, and working with it to make candy was difficult and dangerous. Um, you know, hot liquid sugar is edible napalm. It's very hot, and it will stick to you. Um, I mean, you're talking temperatures up around... 150 Celsius or, or 300 Fahrenheit in order to make this candy. And then the manual labor of all that stretching and folding. Um, but, yes, enterprising humans were set on making hard candies, and make them they did. Indeed. Sugary striped candy sticks were around by 1844 at least. Um, the first English language use of candy canes took place in 1866. And their first recorded association with Christmas popped up in 1874. They were a popular Christmas time sweet, but not because they were Christian, just they were tasty and they were available. Mm -hmm. Yeah, candy at Christmas. Makes sense to me. Another unverified and most likely untrue story goes that the shape was courtesy of a choir master at Germany's Colonia Cathedral was trying to find a way to keep children in the choir entertained during services. Aha, he thought to himself. Candy. <laughs> so he went to a candy maker and got an idea. What if the solid white candy sticks were bent? Then it becomes a teaching tool to remind children of the shepherds in the nativity story and the white a reminder of Jesus' purity. That way, both children and their parents would be appeased because at least they're learning something right. from this candy. It's not just candy. It's educational candy. Exactly. It's a candication. Why didn't we try? I didn't try that excuse when I was a child. <laughs> I need to see what's in the center of this Reese's cup, Mom. It, Science. It might not be peanut butter this time. I don't know. Um, yeah, and, and this story wasn't recorded until the 20th century. Ah. Uh, it is repeated in a lot, a lot, a lot of places, but probably not true. Again, probably, right? Yeah. Um, and because candy canes are hard candies, they might have been used as pacifiers and or to keep children busy and quiet. That is something you see a lot about them re reported as well. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. In the 1844 book, the complete confectioner, pastry cook, and baker included a recipe uh, in it for striped peppermint candy sticks. Okay, so peppermint's working its way in there. That's right. According to the Daily Meal, another proto-candy cane was invented in Sweden in 1859 called Polgaris. They were straight peppermint candy sticks striped with red and white. That sounds pretty close. Yeah, and um, commercial mint production was happening around the world starting in the mid-1700s. So by this time in the mid-1800s in Europe and America, uh, mint oil was fairly common as a flavoring. Um, a flavoring with a slightly medicinal yes. bent to it. Um, hard candies themselves were often used to deliver doses of medicine at the time, so... Both, the entire thing is very healthy. 
<laughs> clearly. <laughs> clearly. So when did candy canes make it to America? Most people credit that to a German immigrant named August Imgard out of Ohio in 1847, who also gets the credit for introducing Americans to the Christmas tree. Okay. Yes. According to the National Confectioners Association, the two events are actually related. They wrote, Imgard decorated a small blue spruce with paper ornaments and candy canes. Okay. Yes. I think it was kind of a write-up in the paper. Like, Look at this cool, pretty thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but nothing is that simple. When it comes to the candy cane. <laughs> a 1938 article honoring Imgard posited it wasn't candy canes on the tree, but cookies and gilded nuts with messages inside. Huh. Yeah. This was a pretty popular practice, too, uh, by the way, at the time of decorating Christmas trees with food. Sure, right. Yeah. I've always been kind of curious about the popcorn ball yeah, situation. We, we, used to, we used to have strings of popcorn mm-hmm. um, uh, on one side of my family when I was a kid for Christmas trees. And we definitely have... Um, Fake cranberries, fake strands of cranberries. Really? Yeah. Oh, that's cool. I never yeah. heard of that before. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. I was always jealous of the popcorn ball for <laughs> probably obvious reasons. <laughs> uh, Annie, you can still have your popcorn that's ball. That's true. Why am I limiting myself? Right? Mm-hmm. Anyway. All right, thank you. <laughs> the candy canes, now iconic red and white stripes, didn't hit the scene in America until the end of the 1800s. And we know this because they started to appear on Christmas cards in the early 1900s, whereas before that, we would just see plain white candies on these Christmas cards. Ah, okay. Mm-hmm. This is also around the time candy makers added the peppermint flavoring, again, in the U.S., although, yeah, versions had existed previously in other places. The J shape didn't occur until the early 20th century, or records of it didn't. Um, the crook is one of the reasons candy canes became so strongly associated with Christmas, because it was great for hanging on a tree. Yeah. Yep. That's also probably why the stripe was added, to make the candy slash potential decoration more colorful. Sure. Right. And I made a ton of candy cane-based ornaments in elementary school, and we still have a lot of them. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Yes. I when I was going through my family's Christmas stuff a few years ago, I found yeah like a like a reindeer that I had made mm-hmm. out of a candy cane, yes. and I was like ah and like threw it away. <laughs> Just like oh. we have a we have a time honored tradition that all of the the precious ornaments that we made don't get thrown away, but they get put on the back of the tree. Oh, so I don't know if there's a point in keeping them. <laughs> Because it's against the wall. <laughs> but if you turned it, it's all these old <laughs> ornaments that are barely held together. Oh, that's <sighs> sweet in a very strange way. <laughs> anyway. Yes. Anyway. <laughs> um, and we did talk about in our mint episode the perceived health benefits of mint. And from soothing an upset stomach to freshening breath, they, people really believed it could do all kinds of things. Oh, yeah. Um, and it might have been chosen as a flavor for this reason and or people really just dug it and or that cooling effect. Yeah. Kind of. Reminds you of Christmas time. Mm-hmm. Sure. Published in 1932, Laura Ingalls Wilder's Little House in the Big Woods, set in the woods of Wisconsin in the 1860s, mentions peppermint candy sticks. Um, and I wanted to include the publication date because otherwise I was confused at least. <laughs> um, Laura finds in her stocking... Quote, a long flat stick of red and white striped peppermint candy, all beautifully notched along each side. Laura Ingalls Wilder's uh, stories about hard candy, or like like little little bits of things about hard candy in these books, were formative. I still have nostalgia for this stuff that I don't like <laughs> because of Laura. And I'm like, well, congratulations. Like weird hard candy propaganda just really rooted itself. Wow. Fictional foods episode, perhaps. Oh, oh. Because they're fictional, non 
They're real. Fictional, fictional depictions <laughs> of non-fictional foods. Yeah. That figure it out. They, like, slaughtered a, a, a pig, I think, and they, they, like, blew up the bladder and, like, were playing with it like a balloon. Oh, wow. All kinds of stuff in there. Anyway. Okay. <laughs> I don't know why I remember those books so well. <laughs> <laughs> we don't question those things. You can't control what the brain holds on to all the time. All right, so a fellow by the name of Bob McCormick started producing candy canes for local distribution in Albany, Georgia in 1919. And his company, which went through several name changes, finally became Bob's Candy. And it went on to become one of the top candy cane producers. But he had an obstacle. Ah, that J shape. It had to be created manually while still hot and pliable, which was a real time suck, not to mention about 20% ended up in the trash. Oh, no. Mm Mm-hmm. And it was a Catholic priest by the name of Gregory Harding Keller, McCormick's brother-in-law, who found the solution by inventing a machine that automated the shaping process in the 1950s. So in that way, they're Christian. (laughs) That's what most of the stories ended with. If you're looking for a real solid connection to Christianity, here it is. Catholic priest, automated crook shaping. Exactly. Yes. And maybe... I don't, not him, but Bob and these candies in particular. They might have popularized the stripe as well. Okay. Maybe. Cool. Um, Yeah, and at one point, Bob's Candies was selling half a million candy canes a day. Wow. Wow, yeah. Hmm. Well. That's a lot of fun history. That is. About uh, the candy cane. I love ones like this that are just like, (laughs) no one knows. Here's a lot of weird stuff. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) I love it, too. Oh. Fun. It was a fun one for sure. I'm glad I, I'm glad I didn't throw away that candy cane and then it yeah. could plant the seed. <laughs> like I, I was so confident just looking at it. that. Probably represents blood somewhere. Somebody, yep, somebody thinks that that's blood. Yep. <laughs> Love it and uh, didn't let me down. Didn't let me down. <laughs> Thanks, humanity. Yes. <laughs> but that's about all we have to say today. About the candy cane, yes, but we do have a little bit more for you. But first, we've got one more quick break for a word from our sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by Westholm. I'm a person who doesn't really cook with a lot of meat, to be honest, because when I do, I want it to be special. I'm the same, and I do love sharing that food with people. And I have to say, we received some product, some steak, mm-hmm. and I am very eager to share it with my friends. Yeah, uh, West Holm sent us uh, a few of their products, and they included these gorgeous, gigantic tomahawk steaks that I, like, opened the box and immediately sent a picture to my best grilling friend, like, hang out soon. Yes, I did too. <laughs> Westholm offers these beautifully marbled steaks because they have 16 million acres of rangeland across the northeast corner of Australia, from Brisbane to Darwin. They use a nature-led approach with the belief that if they balance the needs of their cattle with the needs of their environment, both can thrive. Their cattle graze on native grasses like Mitchell grass, which is found only in Australia, and roam wild, foraging at will for the first two to three years of their lives. The result is Wagyu beef that reflects the terroir of northern Australia, and a quality that would complement whatever you're into cooking right now. Westholm believes that when nature leads, flavor follows. Learn more at westholme.com slash savor. That's W-E-S-T-H-O-L-M-E dot com slash savor. 
Today's episode is brought to you by Discover Puerto Rico. We've talked in a bunch of different episodes about facets of Puerto Rican cuisine, um, like the dish mofongo, made of savory, deep-fried mashed plantains studded with some kind of tasty protein, and the creation of the cool, creamy pina colada. But there is so much more there. Um, I've actually never been. You have a tiny bit of experience, don't you? Yes. Unfortunately, it was a very tiny bit of experience. Mm -hmm. I was there for about a day. I'm kicking myself for that now. I remember having delicious rums, delicious drinks, but I want to go back because, yeah, so many episodes we do on here, when we're talking about food from Puerto Rico, I want that. Mm -hmm. And (laughs) it sounds amazing. We're trying to get a savor team trip together. Oh, absolutely. (laughs) Well, I mean, we're we're trying to get a trip to a lot of places, but this this is really top of the list. Even putting together this ad read made me hungry. I was like, oh, oh, I want to try those things. Yeah, as we've talked about before, there are influences there from African and Spanish and native Taino foodways. The culinary scene sounds amazing, and we want to go, and I'm hungry. No passport is required for U.S. citizens and permanent residents. You can learn more and plan your trip at discoverpuertorico.com. This Father's Day, shop at the Home Depot to find the perfect gift to help Dad be everything he can be. Because your dad is more than just a dad. He's groundskeeper of the yard, the perfecter of the patio, and the cleaner of the clippings. He's the weed-fighting, hedge-trimming, leaf-blowing lord of the lawn. He sees the job, and he gets it done. Because your dad is a doer. So show him you appreciate everything he does with the tools he needs to power up his landscaping game. This Father's Day, give him the convenience and gas-like power of innovative and durable Milwaukee cordless outdoor tools from the Home Depot. Plus, get up to $150 off select Milwaukee tools. For everything Dad does, everything he is, and everything he can be, find the perfect Father's Day gift at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. Shop for Father's Day now in stores or online at homedepot.com. When the sun goes down, opt for bold and blingy styles, like the made-to-be-seen, very sexy push-up bra from the Very Sexy Collection, in on-trend hues like black shine, green, and citron. For a glam statement, pair them with your favorite jeans and bring the heat. Because life is better in a bikini. Rewind to the future with the VS Archive Swim Collection, inspired by Victoria's Secret's classic looks from the 90s and early 2000s. For endless out-of-office options, mix and match with Victoria's Secret's wide range of bikini tops and bottoms that offer you every type of coverage, from full to cheeky to minimal. Now in this season's must-have shades and patterns. Add the finishing touch with the limited edition Bombshell Escape fragrance, a free-spirited take on the iconic Victoria's Secret scent. Dive into a vibrant blend of juicy guava, lush palms, and summer glow peony. Shop now at your closest Victoria's Secret store or online at victoriasecret.com. And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. Yes, thank you. And we're back with Listen, Listen to our mail. supposed to be the jingles. <laughs> the jingles that I listen to. It's, it's, hard, it's hard to jingle with your voice. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Kiana wrote, (laughs) I had to include this one, it's about Halloween. Uh, Halloween is my favorite day of the year. Not only do I get to dress up and act like a child, but I love carving pumpkins and baking fun Halloween things. So, since you had a call out for pumpkin carvings, I thought I would send in a few I've done over the years, as well as some of the cakes I've made for my parties. 
And also my cats. Yeah. Yes. Uh, they aren't named after food, but they do love eating it. They've stolen cupcakes off my counter and eaten blocks of butter on a few occasions. Oh, goodness. Yes. Wow. Uh, for the record, any pictures of animals are welcome. Yes. Like, they really don't have to just be named after food. I mean, that's no. cute, but. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Mm-hmm. This year's cake was a melting spider cake. Um, <laughs> there was chocolate dome over the cake to make the body a shape of the spider. So when I poured hot raspberry strawberry sauce on top, the chocolate melted to reveal little spider eggs, <laughs> a.k.a. mini marshmallows. <laughs> I was in Italy last year for Halloween. The late night catacomb tour was amazing. Oh, the best Halloween ever. Cool. Yeah. But before that, I had an ice cream test tube cake. It was preceded by a chocolate bacon ghost cake <laughs> and a Hanukkah. House pumpkin cake. I made the Cheshire cat pumpkin this year and also attached a few from other years, including a Harry Potter pumpkin. His glasses were annoying, but worth the effort. The pictures were a delight. Yes. The ideas most appreciated. Gosh, right? Yes. Oh, yeah. Annie likes a stunt cake, so yes, I, I, do. I feel like this is going to happen. Oh, gosh. The mini marshmallows, the eggs. It's such a good touch. It's so gross and wonderful. I know. I love it so much. <laughs> <laughs> oh, um, Liz wrote... I forgot which episode it was mentioned, but you talked about possibly doing a Pokemon food episode as part of your fictional food series. So I decided to give you some help, as there is a lot of meat on these bones and it would be appropriate with a new game on the horizon. There's so many different kinds of food in the games. Obviously, there's the basic berries, which resemble several real-world fruits. Uh, there's Poke Puffs, which are a delicate sweet treat covered in beautiful decorations. There's Poffins, another form of pastry, which looks somewhat like bread in my opinion. There's Poke Blocks, which are candy. These all help raise stats of your Pokemon. There's lava cookies, rage candy, rage candy. Oh, she included a few things I'm not going to try to pronounce because I've never seen this series. And big malasadas as well as specialty items specific to a certain region. With the addition of Sword and Shield, there's now a curry dex, which includes 100 different kinds of curry, including one with Pokemon sausage. What's in Pokemon sausage? No one knows. The developers won't say. What? Woof. All right, that's fine. In the anime, they've shown rice balls, um, infamous, infamously called jelly donuts in the American dub, and chocolate enjoyed by Pokemon and humans alike. There are products derived from Pokemon like honey from the Combees and Moomoo Moo milk from Miltank. It's also implied people and Pokemon also eat Pokemon, like slowpoke tails and far-fetched soup. There is also Poke Chow, which appears to be a kibble for Pokemon to eat. Uh, you can also find fans who have made interpretations of these poke foods, and there's a cookbook, though it's more about making foods that look like Pokemon instead of foods from Pokemon. <laughs> this the, is a, a wealth of information yes. that I appreciate so much. Me too. Ah, oh, heck. I don't know much about Pokemon, but I'm in love with all of this. I like the thought put into what things could possibly be. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the the entire like poke cannibalism issue is mm -hmm. one is one that my friends have discussed uh, uh, pretty extensively. Okay, um, so you're a little prepared on that front. I'm, I'm vaguely I've I've heard of it. Yes. at any rate. Yes, you've um, been exposed. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Pokemon Go is my only exposure to to the series, uh, and I find it super delightful. Even though I'm like a heck an old lady, I'm like <laughs> that's fine. Um, but this is. This is also good. I we we need to we need to find someone who is a bigger fan of the series and come do an episode about poke yes. food with us. Absolutely, I think we're in the right place. Our office, somebody <laughs> is bound to have that knowledge. 
Uh, yes, given the number of times that we have sung the Pokemon theme song at karaoke, I'm going to go ahead and say yeah. <laughs> Which I think we also posted on a, one of our very few stories ever was us singing that. Um. <laughs> uh, we have a good time. We absolutely do. <laughs> and we absolutely will be doing an episode on this. Yes, thank you. Oh, yes, my gosh. Thank you. Um, thanks, yeah, for writing us to both of them. And if you would like to write to us, you can. Our email is hello at saverpod.com. Or find us on the aforementioned social media. Uh, we're on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter at SaverPod, and we do hope to hear from you. Saver is a production of iHeartRadio and Stuff Media. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, you can visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Thank you, as always, to our super producers, Andrew Howard and Dylan Fagan. Thanks to you for listening, and we hope that lots more good things are coming your way. Today's episode is brought to you by Discover Puerto Rico. Puerto Rico is home to a thriving culinary scene based on products and traditions from the native Taino, African, and Spanish peoples that have influenced it. When you go, there are a host of restaurants, bars, breweries, distilleries, farms, and coffee houses to dig into, from five-star experiences to local favorites. No passport required for U.S. citizens and permanent residents. Learn more and plan your trip at discoverpuertorico.com. Happy Pride from Tomboy X. We just dropped our Pride 24 collection. Queer founded, queer run, and creating size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies. So you feel comfortable in your own skin. Visit TomboyX.com to shop. Your new home journey starts at Fisher Homes, where everything is red, white, and new. Explore exclusive summer savings and start your journey by selecting your ideal home site and your dream community. Choose from a variety of expertly designed floor plans and bring your style to life at the Lifestyle Design Center. Are you looking for a quick move-in ready home instead? Fisher Homes has options for those, too. Fill out a form to connect with a new home advisor at fisherhomes.com to get started today before the sun sets on summer savings. Olay's new Indulgent Moisture Body Wash covers your skin in layers of rich moisturizers and vitamin B3 complex, transforming your skin from dry and dull to moisturized, soft and smooth in just 14 days. Feel the best in your skin and glow with confidence, all pride. For the third year, Olay Body is a proud sponsor of iHeartRadio and PNG's Can't Cancel Pride and supporter of the LGBTQ plus community. So this pride glow with confidence, not just all month, but all year long. Check out Olay's new Indulgent Moisture Body Wash online or at your favorite retailer.